Good morning. Such an honor and a privilege to give the message uh, this morning on this historic occasion. I'm Pastor Joy Yoon, the pastor of Keolumana United Methodist Church, the sister UMC Church right here in Kailua. So it's such an honor uh, to be here and to see all, all of us to gather together to join hands in support for the Windward Community Food Drive, but also to worship as one Methodist body of Christ. Please join me in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Dear gracious and loving God, we just thank you so much for this opportunity where we could worship together. We commit this time to you, open up our minds and our hearts to receive your word this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I recently came across a really interesting article. Uh, it was written by Gary Kelman, the CEO of Redfin Co. It's a real estate brokerage agency. And he said uh, in the Business Insider, he said he's seen trends in the housing market that he's never seen before. So one trend is expecting couples signing a contract, telling the seller that they will name their firstborn child after the seller if they get the house. Uh, statistically, this does not prove very effective, but it sounds crazy, but we live in crazy times and I'm not completely surprised. Right now we're dealing with really high inflation, supply chain issues, as a country, I don't think we've ever been more divided politically. War continues to rage on in Ukraine, driving up the cost of energy and fuel. International currencies are at a tailspin and we're also dealing with worsening climate change. I don't know if you were following uh, Hurricane Ian as it made its way through Florida and up the Southeast, causing a lot of destruction. So we live in uncertain times and we're all feeling the effects of the time that we live in to some degree. And when I think about today's passage, that's not too different than the context of our scripture. It, they were dealing with fear-filled, uncertain times, actually much, much worse than today. So in, today, in the context of today's scripture, Israel is divided. Uh, they were once one united kingdom under King David and, and under King Solomon. Then they get divided to a northern kingdom, Israel, and a southern kingdom, Judah. So this is not too far from what, what happens in our um, passage this morning. And so you have King Jehoram in the north, King Jehoshaphat in the south, and they're not completely faithful in serving the God of Israel, and they're leading their people astray. And as this is happening, other neighboring nations are taking advantage of Israel's vulnerability, so they start to attack. Just the chapter before today's scripture, the king of Moab attacked. Uh, just after our, our scripture today, the king of Aram will attack. And as all this political, social, and religious upheaval is happening, Israel is struck with devastating famine. And we get to see just how devastating this famine is, because in 2 Kings chapter 6, it tells you the price of things. So it tells you that uh, a donkey's head is worth 80 shekels of silver. That's about nine pounds of silver. A little piece of dove's dung, which was used to create fire and fuel, was worth about 100 grams of silver. So that would be like the modern day equivalent of us experiencing 3,000% inflation. I know we're all kind of feeling the 7% that we're going through right now, but can you imagine 3,000%? And there were no social structures, no stimulus packages to shield people from the shock of this. People were living in desperate, dire, fear-filled times. So as this is happening, Elisha is walking around Israel, and he is performing amazing miracles. But a lot of these miracles are only revealed to a few people. And in today's passage, one of his former followers, the wife, comes up to him and says, 
my husband has died. And now because of debt, my husband's debt, my children are going to be sold into slavery. And this was a tragic reality of the ancient world. You could get your children taken away to pay off your debt. So he asks her, what do you have? And she says, I have one jar of oil. And he tells her, go around the community, go around your neighborhood and gather as many jars as you could possibly get. So, and then he says, close the door and start filling the jars. So that's what she does. Her kids go out in the neighborhood. They get as many jars as they can. And the amount of oil that comes out correlates with as many jars as they have. Now, they have enough jars filled. The prophet tells her, go sell this oil and live off the rest. So during this time of famine, when the cost of oil was incredibly high, this miracle saved her from her terrible situation. What I think is so interesting about this miracle is that to the extent that she was able to get out of her terrible situation directly correlated with the community's willingness to help. So if they went out in the community and only one person was willing to give a jar, she would still be in her terrible, tragic situation. And I think that's interesting because this miracle required the faith of the woman to go out to ask for jars and required the faith of the community to give the jars, believing that God could do something with the little that they had to offer. And I think this particular miracle is very indicative of the miracles that Jesus performs throughout the Gospels. It's like the, the little boy offering five loaves of bread and two fish to feed thousands. It's Peter putting his net on the other side of the boat in faith and having it full to the brim. It's a bunch of servants gathering a bunch of empty jars, filling it with water and seeing it turn into wine. Or a ragtag group of guys saying yes to the call of Christ and thus changing the course of human history. These are the signs of the kingdom, us giving the little that we have to God and God compounds it and expands it. And that ripple effect is felt throughout the community and around the world. As we are gathering today to support our Windward Community Food Drive and as one body of Christ, I think about a time when I really struggled with food insecurity as a college student. And I believe I shared the story with my church maybe a couple years ago. So I went to Rutgers University. My husband and I are originally from New Jersey. We moved here about 14 years ago. Um, so all my kids were born here, but we're, we're transplants. And so in my last year of Rutgers, I realized I didn't have enough credits to graduate. I had a little too much fun my freshman year. Uh, so I went to my mom and I, and I told her, you know, I want to add a minor. I don't have enough credits. Can you just support me one more year? And she was like, no. Uh, we supported you your whole life and um, four years of college, so go with God. And I... Um, and then what, what ended up, what, what I found out was uh, my dad was also having a lot of health issues. So his, he suffered from a nephrotic kidney his whole life. And in this particular scene, season, he was in and out of work and my brother was still in school. Um, so even if my parents wanted to support me, they really couldn't. So I found myself in a situation that I've never been in before. Um, I had to pay tuition, I had to take night classes, I had to get a full-time job, pay for car, uh, gas, rents, and everyday living expenses. Um, so I, I got a job as a property manager in, down in South Jersey. I managed some large beachfront condo communities. Absolute worst job ever. Absolute worst job. I don't know how I survived that year. Uh, but at the end of the month, when I tried to create a food budget, I had very little left over for food. I was barely scraping by. And when I say scraping by, I mean counting every nickel, dime, quarter, 
but there are some things that help. So down the street from my apartment, there was a convenience store and they would have, sometimes their cans of tuna fish would go on sale, probably because it was about to expire. Uh, but they would have cans of tuna fish, 30 cents, 40 cents, dirt cheap. And I would gather as much as I could because one can would be a meal. I would be home free for one meal because I would make a sandwich out of it. And also my church was instrumental in getting me through that year. I went to a large uh, Methodist Korean church and they served food for everything. There could be three people filling up oils in the candles and they'll, they'll serve food for 10 people. So I was there every church picnic, every church event. Does a light bulb need to be fixed? Feed me. Um, so throughout that year, I somehow made it. And by the end of the year, I finally graduated. I didn't have to pay for tuition. I worked out a deal with my parents to live at home and help pay for rent. I got a, a better job closer to where I was going to live. And the week that I was moving out of my apartment, I went down to the convenience store. And what do you know, the cans of tuna fish were on sale. And I remember grabbing those cans and making my sandwich. And as I closed my eyes to thank God for the food, a flood of memories from that year came pouring into my mind and my spirit. And I started weeping in front of my tuna fish sandwich because I remembered God's love, compassion, generosity, and grace throughout the whole year, especially displayed to me through my church community. I remember opening up my cupboard and I had one can of beans or one tuna fish left and my friend would text me, hey, let's go out to lunch, my treat. I remember after church on Sundays, there were a couple uh, people that knew of my situation, dropping off groceries, dropping off sandwich meat. And for the first time, as I was crying in front of my tuna fish sandwich, I could understand why God calls us to be generous. Because as someone who grew up in the church, I had been the recipient of the church's generosity my entire life. But when it mattered the most, it made the most impact. And I could see God's love and compassion to me, for me, for my church community, through my church community. And really, when I think back on the little gifts that people gave me, taking me out to lunch, taking me out to dinner, dropping off groceries, their small gifts is the gift that keeps giving. Because in my life, when I struggle and I wonder how much I should set aside, how much I should give, I think back to that season in my life where God showed up when I needed it the most. I think about today's passage. I think about the people parting with their jars during a time of famine. And during a time of famine, everything that you own meant all the difference in survival, but they were willing to give. In their fear and in their anxiety, they were willing to give. And what would empty jars do for a woman in that tragic situation? It would do nothing. They weren't giving it to her, they were giving it to God, believing that God can work a miracle. And I believe that's what we do as a body of Christ. In times of fear and uncertainty and in all situations, we remember God's love, justice, and compassion displayed in our lives. We give the little that we have to offer, and we believe that God will compound it and expand it and make all the difference in the world. Let's pray. Dear God, we come before you as people who have experienced your extravagant grace and love through your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to live out the generosity that you always inspire in us. We come before you as disciples of Christ to be a light in our community.
and we gather in our unique and proud tradition as Methodists, where the gospel is lived and done and lived out in meaningful, tangible ways. Use us to be your hands and feet for the restorative work of your kingdom. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.